and uh, the next day, excuse me. And uh, they go back, the state troopers and, and the forest rangers, and they go, they go find, they actually find the guy and he's upside down in the plane and he's alive and he survived the crash. And um, he wound up to be a drug dealer and the suitcase had $60,000 in cash in it. the line, the Catskills. Welcome everyone to Inside the Line, the Catskills, Episode 3. Tonight we'll be talking about a hotel that once existed above the great Catterskill Falls and about one of my favorite topics of the Catskills, plane crashes. Enjoy! Alright, so we are recording. Welcome to Inside the Line, the Catskills. Tonight we have a very special episode um, this is about plane crashes in the Catskills. Very passionate about this, and I've brought along my friend Joe once again to talk about plane crashes in the Catskills because he is the Catskill king of plane crashes, the expert. He knows everything about anything of plane crashes in the Catskills. So say hi, Joe. How you doing, Stash? It's great, great. So uh, what are you having to drink tonight, Joe? Anything? Um, you know, I make my own wine, and I'm drinking some Petite Syrah that I made two years ago. Oh, wow. Excellent. How long do you let that sit for? Um, I make it. It takes a couple of months to make it, and then I let it settle, and then I put it in oak barrels and leave it for a year, and then I bottle it. Okay, excellent. That's pretty wicked stuff. So it's like, you know, like a year and a half old when I start to drink it. Nice. That's that's wicked stuff. I remember you gave me some. I don't remember how, how it was aged or what it was called, but it was strong. And it did its job. <laughs> but, uh, Joe, any, any hikes uh, since the last time we, we chatted? Yeah, on Sunday, uh, I went with a few friends and Shari went up to Plateau. We went uh, looking for a, a secret viewpoint that's on the south side of Plateau. I'm trying to think of the direction. And uh, we found it. It's really a very pretty place to sit down and take, get a view. It's... Uh, off, it's it's off trail. It's a little bushwhack. Yeah, yeah. Those uh, plateau sugarloaf sides are really uh, demented with with awesome rock face and stuff like that. So, I've really always wanted to explore that the western side of sugarloaf off to the side where it has that big you can see from plateau the big huge drop offs and everything like that. Mm-hmm. It looks like uh, it would be an excellent sort of adventure. But yeah, well, cool. Yeah, I mean. Let's see. I went on Tuesday. I went up to Thomas Cole to do my trail maintenance. So that was uh that was beautiful. What a beautiful day to to hike in from Barnum Road, and it was absolutely perfect. I love that hike. It's it offers a bit of everything. So very easy hike. But then I got up to Camel's Hump, and then I had to do uh some of my maintenance, and it was just a pain. It's a pain up there. I, you've been there probably many times. You know that section is is full of prickers and golden rods and everything. Well, I hope you did a good job because uh, we're going there tomorrow and we're going to do it as a through hike up there. So doing all three, all three peaks. Yeah. Excellent. Well, excellent. Please uh, give me some feedback. Because I will. I, I, 
I worked very hard on that crap. And <laughs> it was, uh, it's not, it's not that easy going 2.5 miles in and hauling that stuff up. <laughs> but I love that hike. It's one of my favorites. But yeah, no, uh, no real Catskill news. I didn't hear anything about uh, Hurricane Ida coming in and doing, doing some damage. It was more further south down into the New Jersey area. So, but still the creeks are going to be, be high. So uh, watch what you're crossing especially for some of the smaller streams might have a little bit of torrent to it and it'll take you down. So just be careful, rock hop, find easier places to cross. Um, so yeah, let's get into our Catskills history. I like to do Catskills history every, every episode and to bring people back and show them how really powerful the history is in the Catskill mountains. And it really is. So Catskills history tonight is going to be about the Laurel house. So everybody knows about the big, huge, amazing Catskill Falls, uh, but they, do they know like right above it, 100 feet away, basically where the parking lot is, was a hotel. It was called the Laurel House. Um, it was built in 1852 and it had a 50 rooms and it was a boarding house. Now, when you, you think of uh, hotels, you think of also the Catskill Mountain House and the uh, the Catterskill Hotel up in South Mountain. Uh, those were huge hotels that were expensive. Uh, they were open to top-notch guests and stuff. This The Laura House wasn't really for that kind of people. This was for, you know, uh, regular visitors and people wanting to have the experience of the Catskills. Now, it was in 1871, it was purchased by Jacob Former, who was from Wittenberg, Jersey, which is crazy that he's from Wittenberg and there's a mountain in the Catskills called Wittenberg. Um, after the Civil War, the, the Laurel House went through its final large development, and uh, between 1881 and 1884, the house was enlarged to uh, handle 300 visitors. So just imagine being 100 feet away from the biggest, uh, one of the biggest waterfalls in New York State and one of perhaps the most beautiful in uh, the Northeast, uh, besides Niagara Falls. I got to admit, that's pretty cool stuff, but Catterskill is really nice. Um, the cost of staying at the house was approximately half the cost of the Catterskill Hotel and of the uh, the Catskill Mountain House, um, which is tried to draw more people. But since that area was so tight, it could only be so large. It was very close to the falls, almost a little bit over 100 feet, and it gave us outstanding views of the Catterskill Clove, which is amazing because you can only get that from the platform and from the top of the falls uh, now of the clove. And it's, it had to be amazing. They also had a platform next to the top of the falls. And they also had a pulley and rope system for lowering refreshments to the visitors to the bottom of the falls, which was very, very odd because that feels like almost like a, like a resort down in the Caribbean or something like that. And hold lower some alcohol down to when you're sitting on the falls. Can't really do that now, but, People still do that now. They bring up stuff to the falls, and it's a, it's a little crap show. But, yeah, for a quarter, visitors could have them release water dammed up to experience the massive flow of water over the falls, um, which is really neat. I got to admit, I wonder, I kind of wonder where they built the, uh, the dam for that and to release it. It probably had to be up towards this north-south lake area instead of closer, but... Um, really wonder wonder if there's any ruins joe do you think there's any ruins left of that i've not really explored that area i'm not that familiar with i've i've only been there twice actually believe it or not so. that's good because it can be a crap show but 
It's uh, we'll have to explore it because I love that area. I've been I've been there many times. It would be really neat to find where this dam was if there is any rem- remnants of it. Back then, they also had wooden steps from the top of the Catterskill Falls to the first water basin, which is pretty insane. Uh, that's got to be a scary even coming down those stairs right now that are built into the side of the mountains that are rock is is pretty scary. They also had wooden planks under the falls for the visitors, which is pretty neat. Probably underneath where the first basin is, where the first drop is, is probably got to be a pretty neat little experience. Um, for those in that area, I want I'm pretty sure this, the trail still goes around the basin below the falls, and uh, it still attracts a lot of visitors. And uh, I couldn't even imagine walking out to to the front of the hotel and getting that experience of the falls being right there. It's almost got to be like like Niagara Falls with the the hotels up there right now. It had to be an amazing experience. New York State acquired it in 1967 and burned it to the ground to make way for the Laura House campgrounds. Um, Today you can find a little bit of uh, rock foundation within the forest. It's got to, I got to take a look for it. I'm guessing it's, it's over towards the parking area somewhere, but so there's got to be a little bit left there, but I, I highly doubt it because a lot of that place has been renovated for more parking areas. It's uh, they've done a great job over there. I got to admit, um, with the new platform, it's accessible, wheelchair accessible, so a lot of people can see this beautiful experience uh, up in up at Catterskill Falls. So I'm I'm glad they did that, but it attracts a lot of people, and pe- the people don't leave no trace. So just leave leave no trace, and make sure you carry out what you carry in. Um, I got most of this information from the amazing Catskill Mountaineer website. Check it out. Gives you information about the Catskills all over, information about the mountains, catskillmountaineer.com. Check it out. Hopefully in the future, I will have a interview with Mike Campbell that runs that page. I'm, I'm looking, looking into it and I sent him a message. So I want to get him on here. So yeah, Joe, any, any, have you heard anything about the Laurel Hoffs? No, this is uh, the most information I've ever gotten on it. Really, it's nice. I'm I'm a crazy fanatic about that that hotel area. Um, I'm also crazy fanatic about the hotels down in the Borscht Belt when it was back in the '60s. Um, So these are really cool topics to talk about because you could just imagine having a hotel right by the falls, a hotel right by the edge of the Escarpment Trail, a hotel on the top of South Mountain. It had to be one heck of experience. And seeing the pictures, if you go to the Catskill Mountaineer website. You'll see pictures of uh, the old hotels, and it's it's amazing. You definitely got to check it out because it's it's beautiful stuff. I couldn't even imagine if it was still in operations today. It would probably cost thousands and thousands of dollars to stay there. It would probably be open to only celebrities. <laughs> I mean, I would think they probably are similar to like uh, the Mohawk Mountain House, you know, or or like that. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, they they offer that that view of the lake. They have there and uh it overlooks uh the catskills and stuff correct on the other side of the hudson valley yes yeah is that is that really expensive very expensive yes <laughs> okay then i'll probably stay away from there i gotta i gotta hike there once i've never hiked there so it's a long drive all right so hopefully you enjoyed that good piece of catskills history um tonight we will move on to our big topic of the night which is plane crashes uh, it's one of the most passionate topics I'm probably going to have, um, and Joe as well. Joe is huge into the plane crashes of the Catskills, so uh, 
yeah, let's begin. Um, so the Catskills have the remains of many plane crashes. The question is, where are all of them? A lot of a lot of research done by Joe and some research by me. Total plane crashes in the Catskill are still intact or have some sort of debris. Uh, could be over thirty. We we're, we're still looking. Joe is mostly still looking. Overall total, because of the some of the planes were actually removed, could reach over forty. Once again, we're still looking. Uh, we're still digging up for research. Mostly Joe. Once again, I'm going to give him more of the credit because he does a crap load of research. The earliest crash, to our knowledge, uh, is dates back as early as 1930. Um, the most recent was 1989. So it happened a while ago, and uh, technology has changed. So after that, a lot of people trusted the technology that we have now, and it made it safer for the pilots. Um, most plane crashed while flying under VFR, which means visual flight rules. Joe, you are a little bit more understanding of visual flight rules. Do you, do you know a lot about it? Uh, not that much, but basically, you know, it, it means just what it says. Uh, you're supposed to go when you can actually see, <laughs> um, you, you're not supposed to fly through clouds and, uh, you're supposed to have a ceiling that's above you. So you, and you fly below that ceiling basically. Yeah. I, I, that's perfect. Cause you don't, you don't, because you're not using any other technology except what yep. you can see. Yep. And, and back then they didn't have the technology we had. So flying under VFR, which is once again, visual flight rules made it a lot riskier. Uh, especially if you didn't know where you're going, you had a lot of risk and most pilots had these problems with the Catskills because of the sudden massive rise of the mountains. Um, the Catskills don't gradually go up, you know, like the Adirondacks where there's little tiny peaks and then it gets up to the big Mount Marcy and stuff. The Catskills just seriously go up. That's why they have the escarpment. That's why like Ashokan High Point and everything, they drastically increase right off of the bat from the Hudson Valley. And usually these pilots that got into these crashes were flying from the south. The south is definitely a lot lower. Um, usually the South goes down to around 1000 feet and some par parts leaving lower. So when you're flying low and you continue low, all of a sudden the Catskills are there and you run into the mountain. Most of the crashes have ended tragically, but there have been a few that have survived. Uh, I think we'll, we'll talk about one weird one later. Once again, we won't be giving the locations of every one of these crashes because some of these very remote, very difficult to get to. And they're also basically memorial grounds. We we don't want to wreck it for the people who have perished in these tragic crashes. So yeah, so Joe, what got you into uh, plane crash hunting and plane crashes in the Catskills? Well, I know you're going to, the first crash you're going to talk about, uh, the details on the stopple point, and that happens to be the reason I have a passion for locating the crashes in the Catskills. Yeah. It basically started one day while I was bushwhacking to do my Catskill 100 highest. I was doing, you know, the 100 highest peaks in the Catskills. I was doing from West Stopple Point to Stopple Point. And when I finished doing the bushwhack and I was nearing the Mark Trail, this was back in 2015, I stumbled upon the wreck. Uh, basically, it's right on the trail and it's pretty much intact. I mean, most of the plane is there. And, uh, and I was just in total shock, you know, because basically we, we walked into it, you know, <laughs> here we were bushwhacking and then we walk into this plane crash on the trail. Um, 
And then afterwards, I started thinking about, you know, what's the story behind this crash and how did it happen? And then I said, well, what are other crashes? And I, I just got into it in more details. And after about six years, I've amassed an incredible amount of details. And I believe there's, there's close to 40 crashes in the Catskills. Um, they, most of them, I believe, are still there or pieces of them are there. A lot of them, probably over 30, are, are pretty much uh, most of, most of the, the planes are still there. Yeah, that's what uh, is tough because, you know, when we have, when they say that most of them are still there, there might be a few pieces. And just imagine bushwhacking out in the middle of nowhere and trying to find these few pieces. You know, just a single engine could be very difficult to find in a bushwhacking region uh, in the middle of nowhere that's been there for over you know, 30, 40 years. So, um, that's, that's awesome, Joe. Um, I am, I'm just like you. I, I didn't go to Stopple point, but my first plane crash sighting was on Catterskill high peak, the lower one. I saw that and I saw the wreckage everywhere and I instantly became attached. I was also that day. I was also looking for the second one, but I couldn't find it. I don't know how I couldn't find it. Uh, I wasn't a bushwhacking King at the, that time. So I didn't find it, but I eventually found it and I knew right where it was. And that's what got me into it. And I remember talking to you about it. Our first time talking about it was at our, our first SAR meeting, correct? Mm, yes, it was uh, actually our first, the wilderness first aid class we took together. I think we were talking about it. Oh, yes, yes, correct. Right. Yeah. And we talked about it through emails, but um, yes, remember the wilderness first aid, we definitely talked to each other about it. And that's when we started sharing some good information once again joe and i are passionate about these things so we'll we're going to talk about a few crashes most of these are already known um and then we'll we'll go into some that are are more more unknown a little bit later but we're not going to give off locations we're just going to give off some details about the crashes because there are definitely some interesting crashes i know joe joe knows some interesting crashes and so do i so um, let's get into it. The uh, first crash we're going to talk about is on the Great Stopple Point, about halfway on the Escarpment uh, Trail, beautiful Escarpment Trail, heading towards Blackhead. There is a plane crash that's seriously right in the middle of the trail. You cannot miss it. If you miss this crash, which I, I think one of my friends said they did miss it, which I don't know how they could have. It must have been buried under snow. If you miss this crash, then you got to check your eyes because it's right in the middle of the trail. Um, the pilot was John T. Grace flying a Piper P828 with the registration number N1316T. Um, he crashed on May 25th, 1983 at 940, and he was killed in the crash, unfortunately. Once again, the escarpment suddenly rises, and it's tough to, to navigate through those sudden rises if you don't know where you're at. He left Poughkeepsie at 912 and was flying to Watertown, New York. He had a revoked student pilot's license, so he was flying illegally and he didn't file a flight plan so nobody knew really where he was going that it was said that he had very low vis visibility due to fog fog's always a factor uh in flying in the catskills it's definitely tough to fly with the fog in the catskills and once again this this place is almost fully in intact like joe has said before you seriously can't miss the crash and the Talk about the hike there. You can approach it from different ways. I mean, there's uh, from Scut Road, uh, North South Lake region, you can approach it from. You can approach it from where else, Joe? What's what's the other two? You can approach it from the Escarpment Trail from Blackhead. 
Yeah. Um, you approached it from West Stopple Point, but that's a complete bushwhack, correct? Um, I'm looking on the map <laughs> while we're talking. So basically, I I usually come up from North South Lake typically, yeah. or you can come up from Dutcher Notch, Dutcher Notch from the north. Dutcher Notch. That's right. the other one. That's the other. Yeah. One. yeah they're not. Dutcher Notch is, is it's a good easy hike. They're not very long hikes. No, I mean the one from North South Lake. If you come from Scott Road, is it takes a total of nine miles. It's a long hike, but it's not that difficult. But once again, you can't miss this crash. It's right there. It's what is it missing? It's missing the interior, right? The uh, the, the seat, or is it no? The seat's still in there. Um, almost everything is there. I mean, I mean, I'm sure it's you know most of these have been picked clean, especially ones that are you know accessible, like Stopple Point. You know, um, people take things which I don't recommend i think that's horrible uh, to take anything but you know they're they're pretty much picked clean on the inside most i haven't you know i've seen some you know instrumentation on different different crashes but a lot of the stuff has been uh, removed yeah and a lot of a lot of times most of the times uh usually the rangers or law enforcement remove some of that stuff for evidence to make sure like of course the black boxes if they have black boxes on them I don't know. I'm pretty sure. Did they have? No, I don't think they had black. I don't think they had black boxes. Back okay. Then. I didn't know if they had some sort of. No, they didn't have anything. I mean, I think later on, some of the planes had um, beacons on them, but most of the planes didn't have crash beacons. Okay. Especially the smaller ones. Yes. Like we yeah. said, you can like approach it from North South Lake. Um, it's a little bit longer hike. Uh, Dutcher Notch is steep as heck. Uh, I went there with Joe one time to go up Blackhead to search for some stuff. And uh, I forgot how steep that was. You can approach it from, God, I got to, I'm sorry. I'm um, puzzling you with, with questions right now. I have to go back to my map. Yeah. Sorry. No, I'm going to, I have my maps right on my, my computer. I mean, you can come from the bottom from Colgate Lake. Is it Colgate? Okay. Down in that area. I, yeah. I thought Colgate Lake was something else, but. You could take, you get at the end of Colgate Road. Lake Road. That's what it is. There's a parking lot, and you, and you go around. You go around Colgate Lake Trail up to Dutcher Notch, and then and then over to Stockwell Point. You can go that way. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, so Colgate Lake Lake is a is a decent approach. And the trail is not maintained as as well as the as the others, but Dutcher Notch is definitely a good peaceful hike if you want to go. Not many people approach from Dutcher's Notch. It's a great hike. Uh, I love that area. It's a heck of a climb. Oh, yeah. That definitely pushes you. It's we a had, tough climb. We had Chuck going on that day. Chuck did not like it that day. Plus, he was injured. <laughs> I thought he was going to he was gonna die. But, but yeah, so that's a great. If you want to go for a plane crash, definitely stop a point. The first one is a, is a great one. Nice, easy, and it's fairly intact. Just remember, leave everything the way it was. These are basically memorial sites for the parish uh, victims with the crashes. So uh, let's go on to our next one. Our second one is Catterskill High Peak, the lower crash along the snowmobile trail. Um, this is what got me into plane crashes. Uh, it's a, it's an amazing wreckage area. Um, most of the hike uh, to the plane crashes is trail, except for the last mile or so we, where it is unmarked. Part of the trail is also a snowmobile trail that is one of the worst hiking trails in the Catskills. It's not really a hiking trail, but it's just horrible. It's mud, nettles, no rock hopping. 
it's it's horrible when it gets wet it stays wet and it's a one horrible trail to 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 go but once again it's a nice steady rise going all the way up to the snowmobile trail and then you would take a left on the snowmobile trail and you go i forgot how how far it was it's not too far it's probably like not even a mile or a half a mile in and you'll start seeing the wreckage of this crash um it's just scattered everywhere uh so much of this crash is all over the place and it, the plane crashed so hard, the only sign of the cockpit was the flight control mechanism, which is still there. Um, sometimes these flight control mechanisms and other other parts are eaten away by by porcupines, but some of most of this stuff is still there. It's just scattered everywhere. The path the the path of the flight can be seen by the debris field. So basically, if you look at it from a certain angle, you could tell where the plane crashed. Um, the engine is at one end and smaller the pieces are further down the trail. So showing that the pilot crashed at a very high speed. Um, Joe, give us some information about this hike. Um, basically about the plane. Um, one of the things I like to do is I don't really verify that I found a crash until I could find the registration number. And it's interesting. This is the only one I could not find the registration number. And uh, this was a Piper PA-32, and according to the National Transportation Database on crashes, it was N-7146C. But I looked all around every single piece that, as you said, scattered all over a couple hundred feet, and I could never find the registration number for this plane. And mostly every other plane that I've found, I think every other plane I've found, I found the registration number. I mean, I might find just a piece of it, but you know, it's at least verifiable. And uh, this one was, was uh, difficult. This one crashed on June 25th, 1987 with two fatalities. And they, if you read the report, going back to your comments about the uh, visual flight rules, it, the, uh, the crash report said it was determined because of clouds, darkness, and the pilot flying VFR into high terrain. So it sort of goes back to what you were talking about before. And, uh, and again, it's hard to miss. It's right on the inner snowmobile trail. But the uh, transportation report crash said it was because of clouds, darkness, and the pilot, again, flying VFR and not being able to see the high terrain because it was clouded over. Yeah, if anybody knows uh, the Catskill area, you know Catterskill High Peak. Um, that just as seriously, it, it goes up gradually, and then all of a sudden Catterskill High Peak just appears out of nowhere. Um, so definitely it's one of the the peaks that can't be missed in the Catskills. You can't not identify it because it's it's got a distinct shape, but it's also super steep at the last, oh, oh God, like 900 feet of the of the peak just rises. So definitely it's right on the escarpment trail. So like, like we said before, the escarpment and the sudden rise of the mountains, the, the most pilots don't know about it back then. They were usually from the city flying up north to the Adirondacks or to Vermont or something, and they had no clue about the Catskills, and they're right there. So definitely Catterskill High Peak is significant to plane crashes. Um, there is another one. Somewhere on Catterskill High Peak, we know, but we won't give it away. You'll have to find that for yourself, even though I remember one of my local radio stations giving it away, uh, saying that it's on trail and everything when they don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> so, but what the heck? 
let's see what search and rescue can do later on. Maybe that'll be a future uh, <laughs> search and rescue for us. But yeah, the I got to admit, you know, the hike there is not that bad. Uh, I got to maybe about 50% of it is, is crappy trail conditions. Um, once you get further up, up on the top of the, the plateau area, everything becomes soggy and wet and just it's it's not great trail it's a, it's part of the long path you can make it part of the escarpment it could be part of the escarpment if you want to but definitely the the hike is is a as a slog up there and then once you get into that one snowmobile trail it turns into a muddy mess and it's i don't think i've ever had great conditions under there but joe you thoughts on this this hike and the crash no, I think you covered it pretty good, but I do agree the uh, snowmobile trails, you know, they're typically mud and nettles. <laughs> that's what, you know, that's what, if you talk, if you ask me about Catterskill hiking, it's mud and nettles. Agreed. All the way around it. It's not the greatest place to go hike. Yeah. Definitely agree. But yeah, the crash is, uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, like, it's like, like we said, it's scattered everywhere. The engine is, is there fo- almost fully intact. I'm trying to figure out. I haven't been there in, in a while, but I know a lot of it's there, but a lot of it's scattered everywhere. And like Joe said, you're right. I don't remember ever seeing uh, a plane number, a registration number on that that thing. No, I, I, I've looked numerous times. Couldn't find it. Hmm. Maybe we'll have to get SAR up there and check it out, do a grid search. <laughs> Maybe. It's a big enough parking area. We could do it. <laughs> but yeah, so... Check it out, Catterskill High Peak, lower part of the other thing. Uh, make sure you leave no trace, and make sure you also leave all the plane remnants intact and where they are. Once again, this is a memorial site for the, the people who perished during these plane crashes. Um, on to the next crash we're going to talk about. is a good old Friday Mountain, one of my favorite hikes. Definitely, uh, Friday is, is one of the best hikes, I think. Um, offers a lot. It's a 100% bushwhack. I mean, the herd paths are there now, but deep into the cirque of the balsam cap and Friday is a site of a B-25 bomber World War II airplane. This uh, B-25 Mitchell saw action in World War II in France before returning to the U.S., and it was used as a training uh, airplane. Um, the crash happened on March 31st, 1948, and the story and investigation indicates that it was on a typical training run which is one pilot and two trainees when bad weather happened and they tried to attempt to land at Stewart Air Force Base outside of Newburgh, which is, I think, around like 30 or 40 miles away. Um, Yes. The only problem, they weren't heading towards Newburgh. They were heading towards Kingston. So instead of heading south, they were heading east. Um, And unfortunately, them headed right into the Catskills. Once again, this is, it's not part of the escarpment, but it really is. There is a sudden rise with Friday balsam cap Wittenberg, Cornell, these these are massive mountains that go from 1,000 feet, 900 feet actually is where the Moonhaw starts, all the way up to 3,900 feet. So Friday being only 3,600, but still they rise in a matter of two miles. So just imagine that you're, once you're standing, if you check out the Ashokan, uh, the Ashokan Reservoir, you can see the sudden rise in the mountains. They're, the Burroughs Range is right there. Three people lost their lives in the crash, and one of them was never found, which is very amazing. Uh, I think Joe just brought this to me with this information. I never knew that one of them was never found. So I guess Sarah is going on a on a bushwhack grid search. 
Um, getting the crash site is is a massive challenge. Slippery boulders, massive boulders, loose rock, wet re- leaves, like footholds that could go up to your knee. And once you get off of the rim trail of the uh, the herd path of, of Balsam Cap and Friday Mountain, it is a complete bushwhack. And uh, you need to be experienced to get to this plane crash. Very experienced because it seriously is right in the cirque, right in the middle of the cirque. And it is tough to get to. It took me, I think it took me three times to get to this because I just gave up going halfway down to the boulder field. And plus I was solo. I was, I was always solo doing this. Um, once again, if you, you need good gear and you need to be experienced hiker and you need to have good navigational skills because this crash blends in with the terrain like crazy. It took me a while. I was like right near it, but it took me a while to find it. Um, Joe, you're a, a know about this hike very well so give us your thoughts on this i i agree the location of this cra- this crash is very difficult to get to it's it and it's hard to see until you get fairly close to it uh the, the b25 is the largest plane that 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 has crashed in the catskills it is much larger than any of the other you know private planes that are scattered throughout the Catskill peaks so it's it's a interesting plane to see because it's so large it was a two-engine plane believe the engines are still there so if you but if if you want to go i would recommend the best way i mean i know they call the uh the herd path the rim trail so if you go up the rim trail at around 2700 feet i would recommend side hilling over to the crash staying on 2700 feet uh you can get there uh, pretty much hit it pretty much dead on i think around 27 2750 if you just side hill over to it um if you're a mountain goat you can go out you can go straight up once you get to the crash and go back up to the herd path otherwise if you're not a mountain goat i'd recommend retracing your steps and go back at 2700 feet back to the rim trail nice and i don't recommend i do not recommend anybody bushwhacking by themselves i know people do it but uh i i know i don't do it so it's just too dangerous i always go with some some other i always go with somebody yeah, I'm. I mean, it's. I've I've definitely bushwhacked alone a lot, because you know my my days off falls on a Tuesday and, and Sundays, and usually the stuff I want to do is is not saying last second, but I'm just like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this, and I've I've I love Friday Mountain. It's one of my favorite hikes, Friday and Balsam Cap. It's just the views at the top are amazing. The bushwhack, the experience is amazing. The 3,000 feet of elevation gain is amazing. <laughs> and uh, it being canisters, I love the canisters. I mean, that's just my thing. But once again, this hike is really dangerous. If you're really experienced, then you probably know about this already. And you probably attempted to do it. But um, if, you're, if you're a good winter hiker, it would be great to do in the winter. Except for the fact that the plane would be buried under snow. But still, it is a huge plane. Joe, did this have turbines? No, it didn't, did it? Um, I'm not sure, Stash. Not sure. No, I, th- I think it had propellers. I remember Ralph saying that the propellers were stolen. Oh, you mean jet engines? No, this was not a jet. This was this was a propeller, if that's what you're asking. There are other jet planes that have crashed in the Catskills, but this is not one of them. No. Ralph said um, a lot of stuff uh, since, since the time it crashed has been taken, which is really unfortunate, and I don't know how they've, do it. they've done it. In that remote area, this is seriously, it's not in the deepest part of the Catskills, but it's in a place where 
I don't know how you could steal things, but somebody stole the propellers and stuff like that, which is it's pretty sad. And once again, three pe- people died. So just leave the stuff alone. Take a couple pictures. You know, give your respects to the people who perished in this, especially to the people who were in the armed forces. My thoughts on the hike was that it was the one time I, I attempted it, and there, I attempted it twice, and then I finally got to it the third time. It was tough. It was very tough. And once again, the the plane is kind of camouflaged. Wouldn't you say, Joe? It's it's almost like it's dark brown. Yeah, it's that uh, army or air force gray that they use. Yes, which is not dissimilar not dissimilar to the rocks. Yeah, it's it's definitely hidden there so it takes a while and it's and it's well intact i gotta admit there's a lot intact there and it's instead of being scattered out in the fields and you'll find something you know 100 feet away from the actual crash site this is like right all there and it's it's a great place to visit but once again you know give them your thoughts because these people died while doing just a simple training um which is crazy so we're gonna uh before we talk about more plane crashes catskills Tell me about all your research about this. So, like, you, you have done so much research, and it's amazing. I mean, you don't have to give away all your information, but, you know, tell us about your hard work that you've done put into this. Well, going back to the, the Stoppel Point crash, after seeing that, I mean, now this is going on for years, I started to do research on the Internet, and uh, obviously. And I found a website that archives New York State newspapers, but they digitize the newspapers and you can actually search um, almost all the news, old newspapers in New York state. And I started researching for plane crashes, Casco plane crashes, you know, you have to do all sorts of crazy searches and it takes a long time, but I found most of the planes um, that, uh, that people don't know about through that. And I also searched, you know, numerous hiking blogs, but in, in, before all that, I actually, the most informative one, which I think a lot of people know about, is the Charles Hayden website. And he post, he, his posting is uh, of, of crashes that he researched uh, many years ago. And he lists a possible 23 crashes. Um, and on those, out of those 23, he, ha- he, he provides five GPS coordinates and the rest are basically sketchy locations and other other ones are things that he believes are possible crashes. He wasn't really sure because he never really did the research, I believe, on the newspapers or other other uh, avenues on the Internet. And as I said before, I believe that there's close to 40 crashes within the Catskills. Uh, interestingly, there are only two that have landed on the trails, and that was Stopple Point and Catterskill. And the rest or deep in the woods that are basically been lost after the initial being located by uh, rescue peoples or stumbled upon by hunters. And they span, as you said, from 1930 to 1989 is the last one that I, I believe. I mean, there's, I think there's some other ones after that, but in terms of the crashes that I recognize, uh, they're from 1930 to 1989. There was actually one helicopter. I don't know if I ever told you this, Stash that crashed on Graham Mountain in four feet of snow in January. And uh, the two occupants survived, but they were a little cold <laughs> being on the top of a mountain after their helicopter crashed. But then they uh, actually walked out, and then they actually removed the uh, helicopter. They slid it down the hill with some kind of a snow cat. Or something what? Like that. Yeah, yeah. Really? Um, yep, yep. That's in, the, in one of the uh, newspaper reports I found. 
So wanting even more details, I searched this uh, National Transportation Safety Board uh, reports of crashes. And basically, they're not, it's hard to do on dates, but if you have the uh, registration numbers, you can provide most of the details on the causes of crashes, like whether it was VFR or weather-related or, you know, pilot error. And so that's another piece of, you know, database information that I found to do some research. The most interesting stuff, though, has come from the military. And um, have you ever heard of the Freedom of Information Act, which is called FOIA? Have you ever heard of that? I, I think you have told me about it. You probably have heard of it. Right. So you can actually, so through one thing or another, I don't even know how I got onto this, but uh, I started to do Freedom of Information Act to the United States Air Force for the original records from the 40s on the crashes. Um, and they're in actually in two different locations. The ones before like 1948, somebody bought them all and the government didn't want them. And some private has, uh, entity has those. And then after that is still in the military, but there's a lot still in the military, in the Air Force. And it sounds simple, but it was not easy finding the right locations for the records and then filing out these requests. But I stumbled through it and I was surprised when I, they would send me these reports or they, sometimes they would send it to me on um, actually hard copies or they would send me, uh, you know, inter, um, through the internet, uh, they would be 60 to 100 pages long, you know, on one plane crash. It was unbelievable. And in, if you look at, if you look through these things, you know, they were local witnesses, you know, interviews, uh, original photographs, uh, sketches of the crashes, um, and, and of course, there was redacted sections, stuff that was blacked out, I guess, because uh, there was some, some military importance. So that's most of the, how I got all the research. But however, because each crash, usually most of the crashes, like 90% of the crashes, represent, represents a fatality, I practice what I call with respect. And I visit the locations. I do not disturb any of the remains, take any items or post GPS points. And everyone that goes with me must have that attitude. And I know you do and everybody else I've taken has lived up to that. And uh, because people have died in these locations, as you said a few times before that, most of the crashes take me, believe it or not, on average, about two years to locate. You know, you get these sketchy reports and then you, you do some hunting. There are never enough details in newspaper articles to locate, but they do provide a starting point. I sometimes talk to local hunting clubs, however, it always seems to come down to hiking to basically pretty horrible locations and, you know, with one or two or three people doing grid searches. And usually, usually with a few seasoned friends, we usually find that sometimes it takes me four or five searches. And uh, I know you've gone on a couple with me and we found once or twice we found planes and sometimes we don't. That's basically my background and what I've done for the last couple of years. Absolutely amazing. Um, I got to admit, I love hearing, I love getting text messages in the middle of the day with some information about a, a certain crash we have been looking for. And uh, it's really exciting to hear that and to see that and see that Joe has found another crash, which is absolutely insane. Uh, there's, there's a lot out there. Um, and we, we've only We've only mentioned a couple, and there are a lot out there, um, and Joe has to put up some very hard work. So uh, we also, like, Joe, out of all, the, how many have you been to so far? It's 27, right? So far, yep. 
Yep. I've been to 23, I believe. There are many all over the place. There's some on, on somewhat sort of trails. There's also one on Eagle Mountain right off of the trail. You got to do a tiny little bushwhacking, but there's very little remnants. Right off of the trail on Ashokan High Point, um, once again, a little bit here and there. And there are some very interesting ones deep into the middle of nowhere, like Van Wick. Uh, there's one in the middle of nowhere on Panther Mountain. Uh, nobody will get to this unless you know your stuff. And they're, they're everywhere. It's just uh, amazing, amazing stuff of how this happened. And uh, I'm not sure if you can find this anywhere else, this kind of stuff. Planes being intact. Stuff still left there. Uh, the stories that Joe has told me of some of the, the plane wrecks. Um, for instance, Joe told me of a plane wreck that happened uh, in the southern Catskills of a guy who was in the mafia. Uh, he crashed his plane. He survived when he was being carried out. Apparently, the troopers or the, the rangers found briefcases. And he said, those briefcases need to be brought back with me. If you can bring them with me, that would be great. And that's that. I'm pretty sure they didn't give it to him, but correct. That's the information. Correct. Right, Joe? Well, I, I believe he was a drug dealer and the, uh, he crashed and they were looking for the plane and they couldn't, they couldn't find the plane and they gave up the search and they said they were going to go back uh, overnight and uh, the next day, excuse me. And uh, they go back, the state troopers and, and the forest rangers, and they go, they go find they actually find the guy and he's upside down in the plane and he's alive and he survived the crash. And um, he wound up to be a drug dealer and the suitcase had $60,000 in cash in it. And he was trying to say that he was, uh, he was going to buy a house or something. And they all looked at him like, yeah, right. So. <laughs> oh man, that's great. Unbelievable. Another, another interesting crash that happened in the Catskills. Um, of course, we won't tell you where this is, but uh, one of the plane crashes had actually an air jet slamming the Catskills at 500 miles per hour um, doing uh, a training. And what, what we think, what theory of Joe and I have, is that this plane was traveling a little bit too fast, tried to bank too quickly, couldn't pull up, and they smashed in the side of the mountains. Uh, this site is one of my, my – I, I, I hate to say it, but it's one of my favorite sites. It's amazing. Uh, a lot of the crash is there, but scattered. And uh, it's just an amazing story. People, witnesses said that they saw a mushroom cloud because of how fast it hit the side of the mountain. Amazing stuff. Like once again, the Catskills hold so much information about plane crashes. I've never heard of any other mountain range with this, this many plane crashes still there. Um, Joe, have you? The Adirondacks don't even have this. Um, there is actually somebody, uh, a, uh, a forest ranger up in the, uh, up in the Adirondacks has done similar, um, research. And I think he either wrote a book. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I, I talked to him to see if there was somebody down here that's done any research. I mean, really nobody's done the, the research down in the castles, but he's done quite a, a bit of research up in the Adirondacks. I don't know how many plane crashes there are up in the Adirondacks, but this one uh, forest ranger has done a lot of research. I forgot his name. I mean, I could look it up if, if I wanted to. Here's a, here's a good one for you. In 1958, a two-engine jet, a military jet, was doing maneuvers with a small one-engine fighter from World War II, and they were doing approaches, and the guy clipped his wing 
and this was over Tremper in 19, 1958, I believe. And uh, he clipped his wind, and the plane basically exploded. He, he ejected, and I think 23 missiles fell down to the earth. What? <laughs> yes, and they spent a lot of time looking for these 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 uh, small missiles. I don't think they were very large missiles, but but they were air to air missiles, and <laughs> and they spent quite a bit of time looking. They found them all, and but that was an interesting newspaper article I read. So, whoa, is that the uh, the the crash that's in the middle of the reservoir? No, the crash in the middle of the reservoir was two saber jets that crashed into each other. Oh yeah. And the, both of them uh, crashed, exploded, and then fell into the reservoir. And, I mean, there was debris scattered everywhere, but most of it fell into the reservoir. Yeah, and uh, I remember Ralph taking a picture of that when the water was severely low and you could actually see something. But Right, there's an engine sticking out of the, one of the basins during low water, yeah. Once again, the, the stories of, of the Catskills amaze me, the history like I, I seriously don't remember this stuff. Like in the Adirondacks, I remember one story of the Adirondacks, the one guy that crashed and survived like three days. But like I don't, I don't hear anything of of all these plane crashes anywhere else, like ever. And it's just insane. And I don't know if there's like I don't know some sort of they just leave it here because it's the Catskills or something, or they just don't want to remove it. I mean, it's been you know since the earliest plane crash, it's been over. 80 years and you know they're just like yeah let's, let's leave it there you know it's just very it's very odd and very amazing the stories here of plane crashes is uh is absolutely phenomenal and joe once again i thank you for joining joining me tonight um your your, your information is absolutely amazing and i love hearing all your stories it's been fun <laughs> it's been a lot of years <laughs> yeah it has been i mean we've We've been friends ever since uh, 2018, I believe. Oh, I think before that. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, I think. 17, maybe. Yeah, Yeah, we started talking before that. So, yes. But, you know, I've, I've been friends with Joe, and he's taken me on some wild adventures. So, once again, Joe, thank you for, for joining me on this on this great podcast. And this was, was awesome to listen to your stories. And I guarantee, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get Joe on in here as many as I can to talk about his adventures because he has been on some wild crap and he has taken me on some wild crap. Just the stories are amazing. And Joe has done so much for the Catskills. Uh, he's a volunteer. He is in search and rescue. He 3,500 club. He was on that for a volunteer. So Joe has done so much and he deserves all the recognition for his, his work with the volunteers and his work on all these plane crashes. So once again, Joe, thank you very much. So, yeah, so that ends uh, the first topic or the only topic of the night. So we like to uh, I like to close out some stuff with new places to eat or have a drink in the Catskills. Uh, one of the places I recommend is, is in the northern Catskills. It's Sunday's Restaurant in uh, Grand Gorge. Awesome place with a great variety of food and also has ice cream. So if you want to stop on your way home, if you're living up north, check it out. Awesome place. Great prices. Middle of... Uh, Grand Gorge and Stanford, so beautiful views in the mountains. Um, Joe, you ever been there? No, never been that far north <laughs> in the Catskills. No. I'll have to take you up there sometime. Any places you could recommend? I really like the W in Palinville. Have you ever gone there? 
I have not. It's uh, right on the bottom of the hill before you go up 23. It's a great breakfast and lunch place. Excellent, excellent food. Excellent. I definitely check it out now. Um, my wife and I, I think we, we plan on going hiking this, this Sunday. We're going to do something easy. I was going to take her on a big Indian and fur, but Saturday night is the lighting of the fire towers. We're going to go on top of Mount U and Stanford and check that out. Of course, this will be published by the time that happens, but it'll definitely be a cool thing and we'll, we'll definitely check that out. So, uh, well, probably what we want to do is like Wyndham High Peak afterwards. So we'll be around that area. So we might check it out. So excellent. Thank you for the recommendation, Joe. Once again, uh, thank you, hopefully, hopefully, to OER Outdoor Equipment Rentals for sponsoring us. Eventually he might. I got to convince him to do it. It's Brad. He's a SAR team member, actually a SAR lieutenant who makes up the amazing, horrible drills that we do. But I'd like to thank him for sponsoring us. You need personal locator beacons, GPS systems, GoPros, ice axes. He's got all the hardcore stuff, and he also has snowshoes to rent. So check him out if you need to. Outdoor equipment rentals. Once again, thank you, Joe, for joining us. And I'd like to thank everyone for listening, Any, everyone and everyone. Have a good night, and thank you for listening to Inside the Line, the Catskills. Good night. Good night, Joe. Good night, Sash. Good night.